the game has changed. The monetary game has changed. A lot of the monetization of our art has disappeared. Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name is Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to book your next gig, grow your audience, monetize your content, and have a thriving career in music. Today, my guest is St. Paul Peterson, who, while being groomed by Prince to become his next big protege, decided to leave and go out on his own. Why did he do it? And how did he go from the youngest kid in a musical family to touring with artists like Steve Miller, Kenny Loggins, and Peter Frampton? All that and more right now. Please welcome to the podcast, St. Paul Peterson. Oh, listen to the crowd. They go wild. The crowd goes wild. They Come go on. Unbelievably wild. <laughs> How are you, man? So good to be on the show with you. Thanks for asking. I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm glad you could do it. Um, so, man, I, you know, I've been doing some deep dive on, on St. Paul Peterson. And, ah. it, you know, it feels like learning the history of you is like learning the history of Minneapolis funk. Um, the Peterson family is stuff of legend. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in your house just surrounded by music sure well i'm the youngest of all the kids and every one of my family are musicians including my parents back in the day that's they started off as professional musicians working the club circuit working at a live radio where before they were spinning records they were doing live music and live uh radio shows and uh, it, it was a great time to be a musician back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and yeah. they were on top of their game they were the f first call musicians and uh, they built this house that i'm sitting in right now in 1958 i'm gonna probably screw that up my sister will get you know get after me but uh, we'll f i'm close on that one and there have been more rehearsals in the basement that I'm sitting in right now than you could ever imagine. Everyone from Oscar Peterson to the Steve Miller band have been in this Woo! basement. So it's been, uh, yeah, George Benson was in here. Joe Sample's been in here. Uh, Dave Sanborn's been in here. Uh, it's 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 been an incredible ride for me. And I'll tell you, being the youngest, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sponge. They'd leave instruments around here and I'd just pick them up and play them and that's why I'm lucky enough to be able to play a few different instruments, and it was, it's been a great ride, and it's fun to be able to still have this house in the community here in Richfield, and it's still a gathering spot for my family. Yeah, that's super cool, man. So you were just you're just at those rehearsals, you're sitting on the floor like when you're a kid too. You remember just kind of being in it like that. There was everything going on. Yeah, my brothers and sisters would rehearse down here. Everything from straight ahead, like far out bebop that billy was doing with natural life all the way to rocking horse with ricky playing rock and roll here Man. on a b3 and a mini mog and then patty doing a uh tower of power kind of cold cold blood uh horn band thing down here and then mom you know playing her standards with her cronies and so i heard everything and did i sit down here on the steps i think i just heard it going upstairs you know uh, i'd be yeah. in the kitchen or whatever and I'd, I'd be everywhere and it was an incredible education to be able to hear all these genres of music going on and what an education yeah man i think about that a lot with my kids and like you know i i didn't grow up with parents that play music but they loved great music so m great music was on but you know like with my kids it's like they're they're coming to our rehearsals. They're hanging out in our living room when we're playing piano and singing tunes, and I'm practicing trumpet every day. It's like they're hearing it. And I always wonder, like, what's that? It's got to be. I mean, your daughter is now out playing music, and she must have kind of grown up in a similar atmosphere. 
Well, exactly. We always brought them to gigs. They'd always hear us rehearsing either over here or in my basement where they grew up. Um, we always, I when I was traveling with people like Loggins, I'd fly them out, and the, you know they were treated uh, like VIPs, and they loved the backstage experience and the crowds, and they were proud of their daddy and being up there on stage, and they loved being a part of it. And I'm sure that that is part of the reason why. Uh, especially Taylor, she calls herself Jean Taylor now, is yeah. uh, is in the business. Uh, I had a band with my two daughters called the Peterson Girls early on when they were pre-teenagers with a killing record. And my wife and, had, and I had a little discussion about whether we were going to bring that out to L.A. And, and she said to me, have you ever heard of a child star turning out normal? Yeah. And I went, only a few. And she went, <laughs> exactly. Can we just not do this? So we, as a couple, decided, and she was right, uh, to yeah. you know, let them be kids. And, right. and if they wanted to pursue it, uh, they could do that, but expose them as much as we could. I literally have recording sessions of my kids from the time they could speak. They could hold a, a, a tune. So I have my mom, who did a, a beautiful Christmas record, playing uh, Oh Holy Night and Silent Night, and both my kids sang over the top of those recordings. i got to play that for you sometime. It's yeah, deep. Yeah, man. I would love to hear that. Deep. And, of course, I, you know, we put them down there, and I told them what to sing, and they followed it along. And, and it's just all atmosphere and what you introduce to your children uh, and what they will remember because they're at such a incredibly uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They are – receiving all this info yeah they're, they're they're impressionable they're receiving all this information that's important to you so that makes it important to them right right it's so important that we continue to you know influence our kids whether it be with music or with manners or or how to live your life or how you treat your partner all these things it's all impressionable when they're when they're tinies aren't they? yeah man yeah it's beautiful yeah they're always watching even when it doesn't seem like they're watching they're watching Oh, and they're listening. And they're listening, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, big time. Yeah, man. So I, I, uh, I read that, and and you know, I maybe heard you talk about this a little bit. That Prince discovered you as a young man, as a, maybe a teenager, uh, and sort of groomed you to become a member of the Time. Now, this is a band that included people like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, who went on to become huge name producers, and uh, of course Morris Day. Um, what was that experience like, kind of coming up under cats like that? Well, to be completely honest, that sentence doesn't read a hundred percent true. Really, yeah. who who um, who hired me was Jesse Johnson, okay, who I happen to be doing a gig with on, in L.A. I don't know when this airs, but uh, I'm doing a gig with him coming up here uh, this week, and he was the one who decided it was me they were going to hire. I got the opportunity okay. through my brother-in-law Stuart Pastor, a great drummer, and been married to my sister now for 38 years, but hmm. his first cousin is Bobby Z in Prince and the Revolution, and he heard that Jimmy and Terry were let go, and there was an opening, and he said, Paul, you're perfect for this, because I had been working with Stuart and Patty in, in club bands in high school. I just graduated and uh, ended up getting the gig, and Jesse was the one who kind of uh, formed me into what that particular gig needed to be because it was yeah. you know i grew up in a bebop family right loving black music just because that's the music that spoke to me 
Mm-hmm. There was no color involved with any of it. It was just music. So we we were always groomed to uh, play what you feel and improvise, and that was not what this time gig was. So right. Jesse had to kind of go, no, you play a part because what we play against that part is what makes funk funk. Yeah. So I had to learn that the hard way, and boy, he was, at that point in his life, he was more from the James Brown school of discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. He was, <laughs> he was rough. And I, it was a, it was a incredible learning experience. I look back on those times now being so grateful for that education and uh, that it was, it was no college degree or no college experience could have given me the knowledge that I have from those four years I spent there. Yeah, of course, man. Being in it, that's uh, a lot different than being in school, learning from Thrown teachers. to the wolves, as they say. So where does Prince come into this picture then, and, and, and how does the family form out of that, which now I think you guys have come back as F Deluxe, right, and released an album not too long ago. Um, right. how, like, where does that all kind of shape coming out of your, your, your time with the time? Well, Prince, I met him the second day I was called back, and we started picking out swatches of suits for Purple Rain, and uh, we started our relationship. It was definitely a boss employee relationship because he yeah. was you know busy making movies and being a, a megastar and it's that was fine i was just trying to hang on for dear life so at when the time was filming along with prince at first avenue our dressing room was really the dance floor or there or close by over by the bar area there, separated by just sheets and pipe and drape and that kind of thing and oh. morris and i used to have fun singing back and forth to each other doing you know, vocal lick offs, if you will. So he'd yeah. sing, ah, and I'd sing another lick. And I think <laughs> Prince's uh, dressing room was, you know, literally right next door to ours, separated by a curtain. So he knew I could sing. So yeah. when when Morris split, this is my take on it anyway. So when Morris split, he gathered us in a circle and and pointed at me and said, "You're going to be the next new lead singer of this band called The Family." Hmm. So we put that together with his then-girlfriend, Susanna Melvoin, who is like my big sister right now. Uh, I've loved her forever. She's just a dear friend. And uh, Jellybean Johnson, who was left from the time. Jerome Benton, who was also left from the time. Yeah. Jesse had moved on to A&M Records and taken a couple of the members of the new time with him. So we added Eric Leeds on saxophone. Mm-hmm. And uh, Susanna's brother and uh, a few other folks so it was uh it, i was kind of thrown into the lead singer vibe and i had to learn about recording i had to learn about marketing i had to learn about branding and these are things that we never really spoke of but they were things that were going on that yeah now i know what the names of those things are looking back going holy shit man it was an incredible experience and and this stuff happened so fast yeah, right. and you just—I was sitting there watching it, almost like an out-of-body experience. Going, what is, what is going on here? And you know, from <laughs> from the look, the robes, the the uh, throwback, the 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 lushness of the strings over the funk. This was all a concept that he had, and he was the best. Meaning Prince, yeah, he was the best at this stuff, and he was in his element. He could do no wrong during this time period. So that's where Prince came into this is is when that band, uh, the family, was formed. 
Yeah. So it, I, it felt like there was going to be a but in there. Like, like you're, it seemed like the time with the family ended kind of quickly. And I read somewhere on the internet that, that you were frustrated with Prince's control over the thing. And who knows what's true on the internet. Is there any truth to that? Like what, like why did that thing end? And, and, uh, well, Mr. Adam, I will say because he forgot to put a couple extra zeros on that paycheck. <laughs> there you go. There you go. To be honest with you, I got uh, he had me in L.A. grooming me what for what would be his next movie to wow. sing, act, or dance or whatever. So I'm taking lessons in L.A. Basically, he had left me and the rest of the band to our own devices while he toured and made his Over the Cherry Moon in in Paris and. We had a hit record out, and I was still making the same amount of money I was making when I was in the time, which is before taxes, you know, not very much money. And I'm yeah. still living at my mom's house with a double platinum record on my wall. Jeez. Then, you know, then I'm, Jeez. 19, I'm 19 years old and thinking I know everything, which I did not, of course, but <laughs> I was wooed away by a gentleman by the name of John McClain, who now is the head of the estate of Michael Jackson. He wow. at the time he at the time worked at A and M Records, and he brought me over there under the guise that I was going to produce a song or two for Janet Jackson. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in L.A. You know, nobody's watching me. Why don't I just produce this song for Janet Jackson, who at that time was a complete unknown, mm -hmm. except for her bro brothers and in their band. Yeah. So I go over to A and M Records, and he said, "This ain't about." Um, Janet Jackson at all. We want to steal you away from Prince, which blew my mind. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, they all started offering me more money than I could ever, ever possibly imagine and giving me all my creative control, all the things that my personal family had groomed me for my entire life. Yeah, yeah. So I took a look at it. I, Prince had not signed a contract with me, and, uh, you know, much to his chagrin, and also A&M Records' chagrin, I ended up going over to MCA Records and starting my solo career. So that's kind of what happened. It so was it, a whirlwind business, young, I'm splitting, I can do this all myself, Yeah, uh, cocky, um, wishful thinking. Sure. So like, did, in hindsight, do you feel like that was a good move? Like if you could have gone back, would you have stuck longer in the family and then gone on to a solo career? No, dude, you know what? I never live with regret. I yeah. think God puts you in places where you're supposed to where you're supposed to be. I never question that anymore. I did yeah. at one point in my career. I questioned it because did I reach superstardom? No. Mm. But you know what I reached? I reached respect and and great gigs and great friendships and and uh I'm as busy as I ever possibly could want to be. And you know, and that takes years to be able to discern that, and that's all me being placed where I'm supposed to be placed, right? So I don't, I don't regret any move that I ever made. I've made some brilliant records with my family, my mm -hmm. brother. Uh, that first record was great. Super proud of all the music and all the learning that I that went on during my early years. Great, that's beautiful, man. You know, you so based on all these connections that you made, you've now toured with some of the biggest names in the industry. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like what what did you is there anything that you learned like your podcast is about maintaining a healthy mind, maintaining a healthy body, maintaining healthy family relationships yeah. um, while you're touring. Uh, like what did you learn in the early days maybe of touring with major bands? You know, you toured with 
like I said, Peter Frampton, uh, Kenny Loggins, all these huge names, Steve Miller Band. Well, thanks for mentioning my Music on the Run podcast. Musicontherunpodcast.com. That's we right. Come on. We have one new episode every month. Don't forget to go there and check out Music on the Run podcast. <laughs> no, uh, that has been a really interesting um, thing to talk about because I, I think the general public really doesn't realize that we spend exactly an hour and a half on stage or the, give or take. Yep. And maybe in an hour doing a sound check, and the rest we are uh, on our own, so to speak. And mm-hmm. you can either, you have two choices. You can either be out of your mind and part of your butt off, or you can maintain your health, see some beautiful, incredible cities that you're getting paid to see. And the best way to do that for me is by running. And the guy who taught me about running is Kenny Loggins because I could care I could have cared less about running. Mm. I've always been an active uh, guy in sports, in tennis, in in baseball, and things like that. But I hated running, and the only reason I started running was because I wanted to get know my boss, my new boss, Kenny Loggins. He says, "Do you run?" And I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> No. So yeah, right. he said, well, meet me in the lobby at 7 a.m. I'm like, okay. So we're somewhere. It's hot, and there's hills. And this dude was probably my age at the time. He just smoked me. He would he would go out running, and he's tall anyways. And he just was so far in front of me, and I'm dying. I'm like, I couldn't hate this anymore. And then all of a sudden, we, we kept going. We kept doing this, and there was some spiritual stuff that happened to me when I was running there there's a place that you go your mind is free to create and you I get great ideas when I'm out there uh, yeah um, and I've been a sober guy for 22 years and so that predates any of the new running stuff but uh, so for, so that's what the approach is for music on the run I want to find out what those musicians are doing for the other 23 hours of their life how do they maintain their family status how do they continue to be a good father a good uh mate a, a, a good uh, uh whatever how do they maintain their brand and their business while they're gone how do they keep their sessions alive while they're on the road do people forget where you're at how does this affect you have you ever had any odd jobs those kind yeah. of fun questions but to, to to tell you the difference between 22 years of sobriety and then not yep. before that um in the steve miller band i i was in the band with my two brothers and we had a lot of fun let's just put it that way yep (laughs) and my brother billy is so funny he's like if you play you you got to pay so we would roll up to red rocks and those of you who don't know where that is that's in in denver colorado and we party the night before and we'd be hung over and he said okay it's time to pay and i'm like what he said yeah we're gonna run the steps at red rocks (laughs) <laughs> so hung over at altitude, we'd run oh, the steps man. of Red Rocks just to blow out the alcohol in our bloodstream, and so we could do it all over again. Yeah, right. But we were young and dumb, and we uh, we had an absolute, absolute blast. But touring man, is whatever you want to make it. Yeah, and I think the pers- the perspective that all of my guests have given really can give some of the listeners and and uh, younger musicians some insight on what's good and what's not good and they can make up their own mind from there yeah man especially you know i'm i'm not haven't been in the game that long but uh in the in my early days of touring it was definitely a lot more 
oh, this is let's it's let's make it fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. And it's like as I've gotten older, it's been like ah, uh, it is fun, but it's mm-hmm. like I want to be good at my craft. I want to be sharp. I want to be you know what I mean. So it's been a mo- for me a lot more about staying sharp, staying healthy. You know these kinds of things. That, that kind of stuff you're talking about really resonates with me. Uh, as I started touring with Youngblood Brass Band, it was like I was doing a lot more running, a lot more weightlifting uh, in the mornings before, you know, that stuff, a lot of times we're on a tour bus and so we're like driving through the night and so you get up oh, in the yeah. city the next day, you know, uh, sleeping on the bus and then get up and you're in the next city. But um, yeah, man, that that really resonates and, and I think there's, I think that's probably true of a lot of people. It's like, and the people that end up doing it long term, that end up, end up people that end up doing it for a long period of their or their career, I think probably figure some of that out. You know, the hard way maybe. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what your twenties are for. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny about the Red Rocks too, because I had the same experience. I was I was at the Red Rocks. Uh, I was like 2010, 2011, and we were we were playing in in Denver and ran the steps. The first day we got there, ran the steps, and then we were you know partying. And I was real sick, and I was like, "Why am I so sick?" And then I learned about altitude sickness and and doing all these partying and working out, and how I was like, "Man, this is horrible." So learned a valuable lesson there. You know what else changes everything is when you have kids and you're on the road. Yeah, man. Because I remember leaving to go out with Steve Miller, and my daughter was just born. I'd come back what a month later, and I'd go to pick her up, and she would shy away from me go to her mom scared out of her mind because she Mm. didn't recognize me and that broke my heart yeah so your whole perspective at least minded changed when children came into the world number one you're not you know you're it's not just a full-on party because you're responsible for somebody else number two you're so in love with your children yeah um, that you all you want to do is go home and be with them right the whole thing, the whole game changed for me when I had kids. And thank God I had my partner in crime, who was my childhood sweetheart and high school sweetheart, Julie, who is, will be married 32 years now. I don't know how the hell she puts up with me for that long, but awesome. she's a saint. She's going directly to heaven. <laughs> she, she knew what she, we, you know, she knew what she was getting into. She knew that, um, that I'd be gone. She knew that's the way I made a living and that's how we were able to live the life that we wanted to live. And she, we made it work and she made it work. She, you got to have a rock star partner. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly important and, and it's not always easy. So did you ever slow down when the kids came or was it just like, this is it? This is what I'm doing? No, I didn't slow down because uh, that's how we made money. Yeah. You know, that was that was the way that I made my living. And it was important to, more important than, than ever to uh, to continue on that road, but just made things harder, you know, because I missed, obviously I missed my wife before the kids came. I mean, somehow we managed and muddled through. But there's such a different dynamic when kids come that uh, it, your perspective changes, your your motivation changes because you're responsible for, for other people and you want to be there and you want to be a good dad or mom. And, and uh, did touring change? It changed a little bit. And mm. I can tell you this, when they got older and I had missed so much of their school activities and the only thing that i was thinking about was you know what i'm gonna miss everything so i i did get off the road after kenny loggins and ended up taking an education 
uh, gig, a teaching gig at a place called IPR. Oh, yeah. Then I went over to Minneapolis Media Institute. So I ended up being the program chair for production and recording at those places and trying to pass on the information that I had learned from my family, from Prince, from, you know, life on the road to these people who were hungry and had a passion for music. And at the same time, brother, I was making uh, money. I was at home. They had something called benefits most musicians don't aren't familiar with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Health, something called health, you know, health insurance, life insurance, and four hundred one k. Right. These are valuable, valuable things. Not only when you have kids, but at any point in your life. And I wish that someone would have told me it was okay and it wasn't a cop out to have a gig like that. And yeah, people got to understand that. Especially in modern day music, the the game has changed. The monetary game has changed, and they have taken away. They I don't know who they is, but the the world has changed so much that the, a lot of the monetization of our art has disappeared. Yep. So it's it's okay to have another way to make a living. Doesn't make you less of a musician. Doesn't make you less passionate. Anything like it makes you be able to be a functionally functional member of society and and you know take care of yourself yeah it's okay to have insurance it's okay to have a 401k come on now yeah and you know what man it's it's beautiful to pass down knowledge you know i mean that's i I get so much joy out of that and seeing my students succeed i've got former students that have now gone on major national tours see it's it's such a it's such a great thing to see and to cheer them on I, I think, think that's, that's a that's a healthy thing from an ego standpoint. You know, it's like to to get to a place where you're like, I want to see other people succeed. I want to succeed, but I want to see other people succeed too. And it's like we can lift each other up. You know, you succeed when they succeed. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, man. It's just a different. It's it's a different ego boost. It's it's just it's not the cheering of the twenty thousand people. It's the personal satisfaction of being able to see your words and your uh your time that you've invested in someone really take root right and right and and blossom and turn into something that will change their lives and the lives of their community forever yeah yeah yeah, man, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the new album. You were touching on monetization a little bit. I want to get there. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about Funk Friday first because you're still rolling with Funk Friday. You got the T-shirt on. You got 100 episodes. Now you're like 117 or something. It's going to be 118. Man, week. come on. And so a lot of people did these pandemic projects that started as like, let's do a remote recording thing every week. And they a lot of them just fizzled and stopped. And you're you just have this... It's so inspiring, man. You have this drive and you just keep going. I, I love what you're doing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Funk Friday? You've had artists from all over the world on it. Funk Friday, man. It, it, it was a... Uh, I cannot take credit for it, okay? So let me give credit where credit is due. For my podcast, Music on the Run, I have, or I had, an intern by the name of Jake Miller. Mm. It, it was uh, the week before the pandemic, I'm in New York playing a gig at the the Iridium, or I'm rehearsing for it, and he calls me out of the blue and says, you know, why don't you try something for social media, do a weekly jam? I'm like, weekly jam? That sounds like uh, a lot of work, and (laughs) I don't feel like doing that. And then I went, went, 
this kid probably knows what he's talking about. So how hard is that? So a one-minute jam. Yeah. Fine. So in the rehearsal hall, I held up my iPhone and played bass, hammer-ons, while we played a funk group. Funk Friday was born right there. So yep. that turned into me composing actual songs for this weekly series and i was like okay well i'm not going to be able to play with everybody in the same room because we're on lockdown everyone was available right everyone wanted to play and i'm talking i of course called on all my friends first then i went who haven't i played with that i'd like to play with i mean the worst they can tell me is no here's another lesson <laughs> for your students yeah what my brother told me is make them say no that Make means say in no. contract negotiations, asking people to, to play or whatever. Um, don't be afraid. The worst they can say is no. And then it's like, cool, never any pressure. There's never any pressure for people to say yes to play on, on Funk Friday. But I can tell you that I have, I could probably count on three fingers the people who have repeatedly said no. And they <laughs> they just don't, they don't want to do it. And I can't fault them for that. But yeah, beauty of this number... The intention of Funk Friday was to bring some light into the world, mm -hmm. to bring some musicality for one minute because nobody has an attention span longer than a minute. I might have to make them 30 seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because I look at that, you know, you, you look yeah, at you the, see the drop off. I see the drop off after <laughs> yeah. about 30 seconds. I'm like, wait, my solo's coming up. Hold yeah. on. <laughs> so, so uh, we do this thing and we do it to bring light into the world. And that's the whole thing. There's never any monetary. No money exchange. This is all out of the goodness of these guys' hearts. It's not overwhelming because it's only a minute long. Right. And there's great musicians on there. So they're like, and they trust me, which is really flattering to me because some of the time they'd only hear my little demos that I send out because I send the same demo out to the five people who are going to play on it. And then I collect it and, and then I edit it together. And when they hear it, they hear it for the first time when it's broadcast on Fridays. Yeah, nice. So it, it turns out really good. It's been a, a beautiful experience. And the only money that I've ever tried to raise is for um, for people in need. For the 50th anniversary, we raised money for the crew. It was called Crew Nation. And, and, and we were in the heart of the pandemic. And our crew, brothers and sisters, have, have been... You know, they were in terrible shape. There wasn't a lot of money out there for them to be able to grab. Yeah. We raised money for, for Crew Nation. And then the uh, Funk Friday 100, we raised money for uh, the Peterson Family Scholarship and Jazz Studies at the University of Minnesota, which is near and dear to my heart, of course. Yep. But that's what it's all about. It's about the camaraderie and the, and the surprises out of it have been rekindling old friendships i mean i've no i've been in the game so long that i've got a lot of people that i've played with but it's been 30 years since we've been in touch yeah i've rekindled those those relationships i've met people that are my heroes that i'm playing with and i call them friends now mm -hmm. i've played with you know my favorite bands of all time like the earth wind and fire boss skaggs tower of power uh uh holland oats um I've played people who have just said yes. And so yeah. I'm just telling you that it, it, it turned out to be, I don't look at it this way, but if you could, if you wanted to, it could be a networking thing. Yeah. But it's more of a networking thing for the people I bring together because I always send out a, a text at the end saying, here it is. Thank you for bringing light into the world. Thank you for playing on it. And if you don't know each other, 
you should. So people get to connect that way with each other. Yeah, that's very cool, man. That's very cool. Well, I've been enjoying it. Uh, been enjoying it a lot, watching all of them. Got to um, get you back on. Yeah, I'd love to do it. That was fun to do it. Do the one. I was, I was honored, man. That was very cool. We'll do more. Why don't we do it right around the time you and I get to play this gig coming up in July together? Yeah. Hey, come on. I got the. I'm gonna be there the whole week with with hardly anything going on. So love come to on. love to do it. Um. Hey, so your new album "Break On Free." Yeah, let's uh, talk about that. I have hardly said two words about it. Yeah, man, it's dropping this month. Uh, I listened through an advanced copy you sent. Family was dancing to it. It's so great. We're all loving it and enjoying it. Um, looks like you enlisted John Fields to do some work on it. You got. Did, did I hear Jelly Bean Johnson's name yelled during a during a guitar solo on the record? Is that right? Uh I feel like I heard Jelly Bean. I don't remember. I was like, oh, you know, there's a song on there where I do shout out to all my Minneapolis. Oh, yeah, I okay, think that's nice. called something in the water. And I, you know, I gave uh, uh, I gave props to Jesse Prince, the time Morris, Steels, uh, Count Andre, Sonny T. Cool. The Peterson family. I mean, I can't even remember because I wrote that song a couple of years ago. But there's that's I did a whole shout out to my influences. Yeah. Cool. So how so you got like Ricky uh playing a bunch of stuff on the record. You guys it looks like you guys mixed some of that stuff together, produced some of that stuff together. Um what's it like working, you know, working with Ricky together close? It's like must feel like home base. It is home base because Ricky was part of my he, he's my recording mentor. He really showed me what record production was and is. He is an incredible, obviously incredible keyboard player, but a lot of people don't know about his production career. He, he was a staff producer for Prince at Paisley Park, and he allowed mm. me to come in and play on all those records, and this is a time when Prince and I were not speaking. Uh, but Prince would let me in the building, and, and that was only because of my brother, Ricky. So Ricky produced my first record, so producing anything with him is like coming home, and we don't even need to speak. So we, we just know what we need to do, and we're so fast together as well, and it's such an honor and such a pleasure to work with him in the studio. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, man. So you've seen like... Now that you know you're making this record, you you've seen the way that people consume music shift mm -hmm. over and over again, and now we've had this major seismic shift in the last decade or so with streaming. Yeah. Um, I see that you still got you got vinyl going, you got CDs going, signed copies. Uh, it has has your approach to to marketing and and branding this record uh, changed anyway because of the way the sort of like new music economy exists now. I think if you don't change, you die. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't have the I don't have the luxury to <laughs> hire a, you know a thousand people to come and be the machine for me. Yeah. So I become the machine. So I've had to figure out how to be creative and keep a creative mind while doing it on the internet and and keeping my name out there and. Uh, so yes, the answer to your question, yes, I, I've I've had to really rethink how to market this. I have a core fan base because I've been around yeah. for a long time. I'm not going to sell a million records. I know that, but I know that my I, I I do this not only for my fans and or fams or whatever you want to call them, but I do it because I have to. This is my art. This is, and I think I'm finally getting around to knowing what I'm doing uh, and I'm not afraid to 
play the music that I play. Yeah. Earlier in my career, people, you know, were influencing me, business people going, oh, you ought to do a record like this because it's going to sell. Oh, you should be like this. You should do a record that's way more sounding like Prince. Yeah. And, you, you know, you get these little voices happening in your head and you, I lost myself for a while and I was not making the best music I've made back in those days and i yeah. this finally for me is a record that sounds like me yeah i had you know because i'm old enough to go i could care less what y'all think and if you don't like it that's <laughs> cool that's yep. fine but this is finally me and i've got so many different genres on there because i it's again it's just music i don't put it all in a box and you can't play country if you if you play funk you know, you, you can't play bebop and you can't play funk at the same time. That's such bullshit. Yeah, yeah. You can play it all because it's all music as long as you play it authentically and from your heart and from a place of love and passion. And yeah. that's exactly what I did on this record, man. You're going to hear all sorts of stuff going on. And, and the main thing that the glue on this is just it's me. That's yeah. the glue. So right. I hope you check it out because it takes you for a ride all the way from, you know, funk, rock, earth, wind, and fire to straight nasty funk to some uh, bebop-influenced arrangements over old favorite songs. And yep. It's just a, it's a ride, and it's so fun that it's on vinyl because you can take a look at the record, the double vinyl, as you're looking at this, these beautiful uh, uh, artwork of Steve Park and, and the people over in Germany on Leopard Records who put the put that... Uh, together it's it's a it's a nice work of art so hopefully people will go buy that they can just go to my website paulpeterson.com and buy the vinyl there we're we're shipping the end of june so nice yeah so is, is the record label you're working with doing any kind of physical distribution as well like uh, i work with rope Dope records in philly a little bit and they they still i mean they're they're now trying to get into web 3 and nfts and stuff because they're like we got to modernize but right. also they've still found success with physicals today uh actually they're, they've seen their their physicals go up in sales in the last right. five years, which is really interesting. Do, are, right. Is your label doing any of that kind of work? The label in Europe is doing all of that. So I am the label back here. I did work with Ropa Dope. They were awesome. Yeah. Uh, they, they did the F Deluxe record. So that was really a good experience for me. They're really great people over there. Yeah. So I am basically the record company here. Me and my team here, we're, uh, we're seeing, a you know, right now the pre-sales for the, the vinyl and the, uh, and the CDs are, believe it or not, so strong. And it's an import for me because I didn't manufacture here. I'm importing from Germany, who was smart enough to, you know, uh, manufacture the the vinyl seven months ago, right, or whatever. Right. I ordered it seven months ago, so yeah. it got to them in in January. So I'm like, send it over. So th it's not cheap, you know, to right. be to have. First of all, to manufacture vinyl is not cheap, and then you send it from Germany with the freight going over the water now. Right. Forget about it. So <laughs> I just want people to consume this music and and, uh, and have that physical uh, copy in their hands and look at that artwork like we used to do back in the old days. I, my daughter's, of, uh, you know, she's just going to be 27 and the other uh, daughter is 29 and they both have turntables. They asked for them and they're like, this is the coolest thing. Vinyl is the greatest thing ever. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, if you yep. say so, yeah, that's that's fine with me. But yeah, yep. I'm marketing myself. I got Bandcamp. I'm ha I'm uh, having uh, a release coming up in the next couple of days 
prior to it coming out on all digital formats to continue to try to learn to monetize the art. And, right. and Adam, when I was a teacher, I posed that same question to my students. I went, how are you going to make a living? How are you going to move out of your mommy's house? Mm-hmm. It's your job to create a way to monetize your art. It's not going to be me because I'm going to be fine. Yeah. So I pose that question to everybody listening to this podcast. How can you help these young budding artists monetize their art? And I think the NFTs are going to be a great. Uh, uh, I don't understand that quite yet. I got to do a deeper dive on all that yeah. stuff. But uh, we got a couple episodes on this podcast about it. I've, I've interviewed a couple experts in that field. And man, I feel like there's so much potential for the future. It really it feels different than what we have now in a really positive way and once they figure out the fraudulent stuff and the energy consumption stuff i think it's really going to be a, a an incredibly powerful tool for independent artists moving forward hey man maybe that's it yeah. maybe maybe they found it yeah i it's think you know we've had this yet. seismic shift already i feel like we're in for another one in the next 10 years honestly as this be- as this becomes more uh, as the onboarding process gets easier, I just interviewed another guy who he does he does digital artwork and music. He's a great bass player out of Iowa and, and makes this beautiful music. And he does these loop images that are like digital images that are moving along with his music and sells them as NFTs. It's really cool. Wow, uh, really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. It'll be fun to watch. Definitely, and be a part of. Yeah, man. I'm getting in on it for sure. Eventually, uh, as as things get easier to use and easier to easier to do but there's already an audience you know there's already a community of people that do it um and that and that buy that work so you know bill you know so i i feel like that's a that's going to be a big part of of independent artists moving forward right um hey so you know you because you've done funk fridays you've done so much stuff remotely now how was this record recorded I, it sounds like some of it's in a room where was it like main tracks in a room with a band and then some overdubs uh or was it done remotely sort of like funk friday did you do a mix mostly done remotely you're looking at uh where i created 90 percent of it right here in my own little comfort zone yeah i'd I'd sat down here and just said what feels good today and i come up with my little grooves and i uh, i would then ship it out to different people to uh play drums on I, I made some trips to la and um david goodstein played on uh big city that oliver lieber produced and then i shipped out some stuff to uh, uh to new york to have uh uh brian dunn play on from uh hall and oats band I, I got a really cool opportunity to produce daryl hall in the last few years and i got close to the band members and cool. they're such good people and incredible musicians so i they've been on funk friday a bunch of times and i've just shipped them out the stuff a lot was done remotely with the exception of the stevie wonder cover that i did with my family on our fundraiser that we did for our family scholarship a year and a half ago we i just took the live version of that and made a record out of it so Mm -hmm. i would say 90 percent, 95 percent of it was done the way i do funk friday and it just turned out great yeah, man, it sounds awesome. I, I'm so blown away by how that can sound so real and authentic being recorded. My, my last big band record was recorded that way because it was recorded in the middle of the of the pandemic, man. And it was I, like yeah. I did all the trumpets and and overdub. I did it all from this room in my like office where I got a little recording setup. 
you know, and then I had everybody individually record their stuff. I created like a demo first, but it's like, mm -hmm. it's one of my best sounding big band records because there was so much control over the production side because everything's individual, you know I mean? It was like, it's pretty wild to go like, holy smokes, I really like how this sounds. Hey, you got to find the, uh, you got to make the, the lemonade out of the lemons, right? And that's what yeah. we do. Plus, yeah. that's a whole new way of being able to create. And I, I've been lucky enough to be able to be sitting in these rooms and creating that. So I know what that vibe is. Yep. And as long as you don't overproduce these people who are bringing what they have been doing and, and their personalities to these projects and leaving some anomalies and weirdness in there, then it sounds like you're in a room. I mean, yeah. yes, you can fix some things, but be very careful how much you fix. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Get a little Yoda going. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, cool, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to hang with me and talk with me. Uh, what like if there's a couple things you got coming up? You got Break On Free coming out. Uh, I think 14th of June. You got some uh, shipping out the the physicals, right? 24th of June is 24th of June. We're doing a gig at the Dakota. Two shows there. Album release party uh, this coming Sunday, the June 12th, is uh, our concert at Vibrato Herb Alpert's Club in. Bel Air, California, with St. Paul and the Minneapolis Funk Call Stars, with my dear buddy I haven't made music with in 35 years. We talked about him earlier, Jesse Johnson. Yep, yep. So that'll be a lot of fun. Reunion. It, it is a reunion. It'll be interesting to see that dynamic 35, 40 years later and just Very see cool. feel like a you know 17-year-old kid again or whether <laughs> we're going to have fun and barbecue and hang out. Yep. I, I got a feeling it'll be the latter. And I'm doing a lot of shows with the Classic American Rockers, which is a family uh, a band with my family and many other people who have toured with a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the classic rock people of uh, yesteryear. And we get to play all the songs that we played with them, and that's a lot of fun. And some festivals coming up here in Minneapolis with the uh, Funk All Stars, and so it's it's busy. And uh, I'm just thankful to still be in uh, in the game and on this side of the sod. Yeah, man, beautiful. Well, thanks again. Uh, appreciate it. This is beautiful. Uh, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, a lot out of this episode. I appreciate you having me, and uh, take care. I can't wait to play this gig with you coming up in July. Yeah, man, Steve Cole. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Gig Boss Podcast. Please, if you're listening on YouTube, hit like, hit subscribe. And if you're listening on something like Apple Podcast, give us a five-star review and write a little review off. That really helps us out. That helps new people find our show. And tap the link in the description to download the Gig Boss app. It's on both iOS and Android. It's totally free. It's a way for you to organize your freelance career. You can create groups. You can create events. You can tag groups to events. You can track your schedule, the details to a gig, whether or not you've been paid, and all kinds of other helpful stuff. Thanks again for listening. See you on the next one.